welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Welcome back to recording with me and yeah. not being alone. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Uh, it does feel like it's been quite a while. It probably feels a lot longer for you, I would imagine. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but glad uh, that things are on the up and up, Me on, too. The, yeah. on the improvement, and uh, we're back at it for a normally structured and scheduled recording session. So that's that's good stuff. Well, not only that, but and we've had this episode like planned yeah. for Tuesdays for like three straight weeks, and stuff kept pushing it Just back. keeps getting pushed <laughs> back, so... Happy to finally jump into it, and what it is today is, I'm not sure what we're going to title the episode, but like five good books. Well, it technically five... would be ten, I think, unless we have some duplicates, because we're, we're, we're each oh, that's doing true. five. That's true. Um, good books, maybe? Good reads? I know that's an app. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's not the best idea, yeah. but um, we have been talking a lot about some more intellectually uh, heavy uh, not heavy like depressing, but just like more thought-heavy sorts of topics for the last few weeks. So one of the things, you know, like you just said, we've been planning this to come out for a while, but we're only now getting around to it. But we've been wanting to do sort of a lighter topic to kind of just break things up yeah. and uh, not just for for us, but also for everybody tuning in and listening. Um, and... Like we say, you know, pretty regularly, uh, we love books and buying books and sometimes even reading them. So <laughs> sometimes <laughs> we'll, uh, you know, the best way to break things up is to talk about books. So we're going to talk about some books. Like I said, five good books, uh, you know, books we like, books we recommend. This one's not so much of a top list or best of list like we've done in the past, more so just wanting to spotlight some different books that we haven't talked about or, or haven't spent a lot of time talking about at least uh, on air and just kind of get a chance to share that, uh, you know, our lists of books that we think are good, that we think you should read, that are uh, entertaining or informative or both. Who knows? Uh, we, we, we don't really know what the lists are going to be. Well, I mean, we know what our own lists are, but we haven't talked ahead of time so it's gonna be a true like countdown type of of episode uh which is like what we've done in the past but um different different books like i said so um i think i think that's about it i don't know if you've got anything uh to get off your chest before we jump in yeah i mean i I, really just the way that i approached it like we said this is this isn't like five best books or five top rated books we, we've done an episode like five books every christian should read and while i think my list would change from over a year ago um, that's not how i approached this conversation i was just thinking like as somebody who loves books as somebody who loves to read as somebody who also really likes book suggestions like i just you know maybe our listeners yeah. like to read but don't know what to read or maybe they do like to read but you know they just the list always seems to be so big and ever growing and so narrowing it down can be difficult so our my my hope is that we can just offer you know five each so 10 total um, books that you should check out that we have enjoyed that we've benefited from Um, and so that's kind of how i approached 
preparing for this. So it was it was really hard to, to narrow it down to five, but I just had to keep telling myself, I'm not doing a best of. There's a dozen other books I could mention. So if you really wanted to know about what other books I'd recommend, you know, we can probably hit you up on social media or something. So let us know. But yeah, do we just want to jump right in? Do you want me to go first? Do you want to go first? Well, yeah, you go ahead and go first. All right. Um, so book number one on my list here is uh, it's a popular patristic series title. So it's it's uh, p- published by St. Vladimir's Seminary Press. So if you want to get this book, you can find it there. Um, you can find it on Amazon, I imagine, but I always try to recommend other sites beyond Amazon. So um, this book is On Social Justice uh, by St. Basil the Great. And the title itself might be a little misleading, um, given our current cultural moment. Um, the way that we talk about social justice is not necessarily what Basil has in mind or what, um, I guess, what St. Vladimir's has in mind as they've translated his work into English. Um, and in actuality, uh, this is really, I mean, Basil, you know, he's talking about wealth. He's talking about poverty. Um and even though it was delivered like in the fourth century, it, it touches on everything that relates to what it means to be human, um, but especially what it means for the church to love the world, to love people in the world, to love its own, the people of the body. Um, so it, it there, there are some challenging, really, you know, really difficult parts of this book to read because it, it ch- not only challenges our modern assumptions about, you know, about money, about wealth, how we spend it. Uh, but even how we look at those who don't have wealth, who are impoverished, who are hungry, who are naked, um, it, it really challenges and, and hopefully changes how we, how, again, how we look at the world. Um, I, I thought I'd just read a little excerpt here, but it says, Care for the needy requires the expenditure of wealth. When all share alike, dispersing their possessions among themselves, they each receive a small portion for their individual needs. Thus, those who love their neighbor as themselves possess nothing more than their neighbor. For the more you abound in wealth, the more you lack in love. And, you know, this book could go on and on and on. And so, again, there's, there is a sense of, like, real and true conviction as you read a book like this. Um, but it's one that I think is meant to make us more like Christ, make us more loving, charitable, hospitable, um, compassionate, and so forth. And this is a really thin book. I mean, this has... You know, even counting like the footnotes and other little advertisements, it has like 112 pages. Um, so really easy to read as far as, you know, it's not like a thousand pages or something. Um, plus, it's not even from this century. It's not even, you know, it's, you know 1600 years old or whatever. Um, so it's a it's a book that has stood the test of time and one that I really recommend. So that's that's my first book on the list. I am going to do two in a row because that is also on my list. Um, I just finished that one like a couple days ago. I can't, I can't even remember. If you, I bet earlier, this is going to be our only week. match. I have to imagine that there won't be any other matches, just saying. But I, I was curious if we would match on that one. Yeah. I, uh, I, like I said, I just finished reading it earlier this week, and it, it definitely was... I mean, one of the one of the best books I've read in a while. Definitely mm. one of the most convicting books. I know you you mentioned um, you use that word, and I think that's a really good place to start in talking about it in terms of it, its content. It there just I can't really recommend reading it enough. Um, 
especially the, I think the, so there, there are four sermons by, by Basil and then one that's like attributed to him that probably wasn't actually by him. And I think it's the, I think it's the first and the fourth ones of his are, um, like especially stand out to me. I forget Mm. what the first one's called, but the second one is like against lending at interest or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I would, you know, you, whether you pick up the whole book or, or just just those two uh, sermons themselves are, are, you know, highly, highly recommend. So I'm, I'm not going to really say anything else because you've already already said it. But since there's an overlap, I'm just going to go ahead and continue on my list to uh, to, to introduce a new book. Um, right. So the the I guess my second one um, would be A Canticle for Leibowitz by Walter Miller, Jr., all right. And this is a novel. Technically, it's three novellas together um, in one in one book. But I this was the first book I read this year. I I saw mention of it on social media like last fall, and I thought, wow, that sounds super interesting. And then I was like, you know, January rolled around. I was like, oh, I want to read more this year. I want to try and, and read more fiction than I've been reading. So I picked it up, and it was extremely good i you know i don't want to give away a lot but basically the the premise is in the future there's been this you know nuclear war end of the world kind of situation and the the three sections the three stories follow a uh a catholic monastery through like hundreds and hundreds of and hundreds of years. I forget how long, you know, is it separates each of the three sections, but like centuries are in between. But each time period that is being looked at and being examined uh, is taking place with characters at this monastery out in what was Nevada um, or maybe Utah, can't remember. And you see the world slowly kind of rebuilding itself in terms of technology and civilization after this horrific war ended the world, you know, at some point, I, f- I forget. Um, and it's a really intriguing uh, book because it's really well written. It's a really interesting setup and it's really, really exciting and cool to see the develop, like the rebuilding and redevelopment of society in these different you know, like the first time period, it's it's like the Dark Ages again, sort of, in terms of technology and, and stuff. And then it goes to like the like Renaissance, you know, 2.0 kind of, and then like into the future where there are like spaceships again and stuff. And uh, it's cool to see these technological and, and societal developments taking place through the eyes of these sort of remote monks and and you you know they're they're like copying manuscripts and they're going on lenten retreats into the desert like it's it's just a really cool lens that he explores this world through so a canticle for Leibowitz by walter miller jr highly recommended um uh and it's 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 you know probably like 300 something pages but but it's a really engaging novel so it, it's it's kind of a page turner hmm. um, i was very invested in sort of like seeing what's next so it didn't take me too long it's 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 super well written and, and fun to read so canticle for Leibowitz. that would be my second book cool 
Well, um, my book, number two, is one that I'm sure needs no introduction, especially with those who, who follow us, I imagine. It's possible that not everybody's read it, but I guarantee that almost everybody's heard of it. Um, I just can't not talk about it. It's Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Um, it's a book that I've read through twice, and I'm very slowly making my way through a third read. Um, it is just, I mean, it's that good. And, and I know it's only a year, it's just over a year old. Um, everybody's talking about it. It's 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 sort of blown up in evangelical spheres, um, but I think for good reason. Obviously, um, it's a it's a tremendous book. It's a book about um, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. So it doesn't really leave anybody out. We're all sinners. We're all sufferers, um, and it's especially poignant in that it's it's written um, to people who might be especially struggling with sin or especially suffering. Um, and as we see who Christ is, not only in scripture, but as he reveals himself to be in his own words, when he says that I am gentle and lowly in heart, um, that's that's the only time in scripture that we see Jesus speak of his inner being, who he is most fundamentally. Obviously, um, Christ is um, so much more. There are so many other att- uh, attributes that we could we could give him. Um, but gentle and lowly is how he chooses to describe himself in Matthew. And um, it's just, he, I'll read it again, a small excerpt. I won't do that for every book, but um, he says to those who come to him, um, sorry, he says, those who come to him are never cast out. It is not what life brings to us, but to whom we belong that determine Christ's heart of love for us. The only thing required to enjoy such love is to come to him, to ask him to, uh, to take us in. He does not say whoever comes to me with sufficient contrition or whoever comes to me feeling bad enough for their sin or whoever comes to me with redoubled efforts. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Um, and so this book is sort of just like filled with those reminders of the promises that we have of, of who Christ is, what he's done um, and who he is for us today and how we can come to him, find joy and satisfaction um, comfort in our afflictions. And um, it's just a really tremendous book. Each, I mean, there's something like 30, no, 23 chapters, and it's only like 210 pages. Um, so all the chapters are really bite-sized. They're really easy to read, um, but it'll, you'll walk away from this book changed and transformed in, in some capacity. There's, there's no way that you cannot be, um, whether it's a, a newfound appreciation for Christ and who he is, or whether it's a recognition of who you are and how dependent upon him you are. Um, but at the end of the day, this is, I can't recommend this book enough. Go go get it wherever you can. I know you can get it on Westminster Theological Seminary. Um, you can get it on um, Crossway's website straight, um, you know, straight from the publisher. So go check it out. I've got, I've got a copy sitting, sitting over there on the end table uh, from a certain generous someone who uh, sent it to me. So, uh, it's on my list. I just, my list is ever growing and I don't read fast enough to actually make any progress. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I am looking forward to picking that one up though. I, I mean, like you said, everyone's heard about how good it is. So <laughs> it's about time to read it. I think, <laughs> um, my next book is another novel. I kind of tried to think outside of my typical, uh, box that I've sort of set up for myself um, on the podcast, but uh, probably also doesn't need 
too much of an introduction. Um, probably something you've read in high school or college, uh, even if you weren't a fan. Um, that's 1984 by George Orwell. Uh, for a long time, this has been uh, one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book, period. Um, I, I read it first in high school and for, for an English class, and, and I've read it um, since then as well. And it is um, a really profound work of sort of philosophy and probing sort of what, you know, the failures and the shortcomings of, of hu- human government, human ability to live in, in the city, you know, like city of God, city of man kind of thing. Like our, our city as humans is, is so fallen and, and flawed. And um, if you've read it, there's, you, you know, the, the basic idea. If you haven't, you've probably heard of things like Big Brother and, you know, Devil Speak and things like that. And um, it's it's had a huge impact culturally, I think, at least in the English-speaking world, as term, in, in terms of how we sort of talk about things that we feel are authoritarian or, or overreaching or invading the, you know, privacy and the liberties that we have as, as people. But um, it's, it's, it's quite a story. And, and there's, you know, a section in the middle that has just completely, ever since I first read it, you know, just totally changed my perspective on the way I look at war and the interaction of, of human powers in the world, uh, through history and in the current day. And it's, it had a, it, it had a huge impact on me and, and I would, I would highly recommend anyone who hasn't read it to read it. And if you have read it, and it's been a while, I'd say read it again. But um, I've been itching to read it again too recently, um, which doesn't happen very often. I don't I don't reread books very often because uh, there's always something new to read. So it kind of takes a lot to draw me back into something I've I've already read. Um, but but 1984 is one of those books. I, I mean, also like Animal Farm as well um, is is. You know, set up very similarly, but but it's a it's you know sort of he's he's looking at something different there. But Orwell is a great writer, and uh, 1984, really good, <laughs> really I have good not, book. <laughs> I have not read 1984, and I have not read Animal Farm. Um, there are two I'd, books. Uh, I have it on my shelf. I've just I've never read it. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd recommend recommend Animal Farm's a lot quicker. Hmm. I almost put Animal Farm, but it's been so much longer since I read it. Um, I felt like I'd have more to say about 1984, um, but um, I definitely want to reread both soon. I think nice. if I uh, if I can find the time to, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, it's just like I feel this bad. Like people probably. give me, yeah, people give me books for my birthday and stuff, and it's just like I take out a book from the library here, I go to the bookstore here, and it's just like I gotta actually read these at some point. But it's like, yep. like I said, I just read, I read just slow enough, and I've got just enough going on, you know, that like. My, my progress is so slow that by the time I get to a book, it's like, man, why did I get this? I don't even remember. It's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been there. Well, so yeah, 1984. Very nice. Well, my book number three is one that I don't think I've ever talked about. Um, I don't think we've ever talked about, um, but it's called None Greater, uh, The Undomesticated Attributes of God by Matthew Barrett. Um, so this is a book that I read as I was a youth pastor. I believe this is a book that I got at the Gospel Coalition conference when I went two years ago. I don't exactly remember where I got it, but um, 
really, this is a book that really helped me understand the attributes of God. Um, you know, we just talked about gentle and lowly. Um, it'd be incorrect to say that Jesus is only gentle and lowly. And so how do we talk about a God who's incomprehensible? Um, how should we think about God? How should we think about his attributes? How should we not think about his attributes? Um, you know, so, it, it, you know, we talk about, uh, the book talks about his aseity, um, his simplicity, immutability, impassibility, his timeless eternity, omnipresence, um, omnipotence, omniscience, uh, his goodness, righteousness, and love, jealousy, and glory. Um, so how, how does the Bible speak of a God? Um, does he have passions? Does he change his mind? Um, you know, when we think about who God is, uh, the, the infinite creator, the, the one who knows all things and sees all things, how do all those things interconnect? Is, the, is there an attribute that is over and against another one? You know, is God love and love sort of like supersedes any other emotion? Uh, this was a really helpful book, really, in just helping me understand how all those things sort of um, coalesce, so to speak, as we speak about the infinite God as, as though we could ever exhaust him. Um, so re- yeah, really interesting, a great introduction. It's only about only about 250 pages, but Matthew Barrett is um, he's a professor, but a really good communicator. Uh, I know he also had a new book come out like a month ago now that is on the Trinity, which I'm waiting to get. I'm excited to dive into that, but uh, check out None Greater. Nice. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I I think I've seen his name attached to a couple. I think a couple of like that book you just mentioned, or then maybe he edited or maybe he was just promoting something else on the Trinity I saw recently. So um, I've never read that. I've never heard of that. So that's that's cool. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Um, so these last two books for me are, I'm not, one of them's kind of cheating. The other one, it might be cheating. Um, the one that might be cheating, uh, because I feel like I've mentioned it before. And like I said, I was trying to focus on books that I haven't talked about before. Um, but I, f- I just felt like it was more than worth mentioning again, because I haven't, I don't think I've talked about it at length, but that would be um, the... Modern English translation from the Davenant Institute of Richard Hooker's Laws of Ecclesiastical Polity. Um, I read volume one of their modern English translation, which contains books one through four, I believe, or preface through book four, I believe, of the laws. So the laws of ecclesiastical polity are sort of uh, the magnum opus of Richard Hooker, who was a late 16th century Church of England uh, priest, and he kind of in the laws of ecclesiastical polity, he's he's making a case for what people today would probably refer to as, as you know the Anglican way of doing theology, uh, and he he's making a, a case for it and a defense of the the Church of England against the Puritans, um, specifically um, a big one that he, he's sort of arguing against is Thomas Cartwright, who is who is a big advocate for certain changes in in church discipline and, and, you know, like a Presbyterian form of government and that kind of thing. So it's, uh, that's sort of the context it came out of. And it's been, um, sort of a, a classic in, in English, uh, theological literature ever since. Uh, and thanks to the Davenant Institute, it's accessible in English that is understandable to us today because <laughs> Hooker's English is not, uh, very clear to us in terms of just it's just 
old and he's a very intricate writer. So even this modern translation, there were sections that were just going over my head. So um, I'm, I'm glad that they have this. And they've also got a bunch of other um, books, like like works that they are editing and, and, and even updating the language and publishing uh, from the English Reformation, which is super cool. Um, they've got this little series called The Library of Early English Protestantism. And th- this is sort of, I, I think, the probably the most significant uh, entry in that series that they've got at this point. But um, honestly, I'd recommend just about anything. Um, like every, every time I go to their website, I'm always tempted to buy something. Um, but but definitely in terms of something that I've read and benefited from, definitely their translation of Hooker's Laws of Ecclesiastical Polities. It's really good. It's a really intricate sort of philosophical uh, look at what law is and what what is what is law what does it mean for us and, and how does that relate to how we live um, as 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 Christians and as people in the church um, and how the church conducts itself in terms of in terms of these things that we have to figure out on our own like do we wear vestments how do we govern ourselves you know these questions that aren't expounded in scripture are you know how do we what are the tools and the methods and the guidelines and criteria that we use to make those decisions and that's kind of what he's doing um from the ground up you know he's kind of building this really expansive case based on um you know what law is and and what it means to to uh to to take that into our practice so it's it's a it's a a, probably the toughest book on my list but definitely um well worth it if you're willing to put in the the time so uh, that is, again, The Laws of Ecclesiastical Polity, the modern English version. Very cool. Yeah, I feel like you've mentioned that one or two times maybe on, on the podcast live, but we also, for a while, when we when we were sending out our um, our newsletter, we had a, I was doing like a weekly thing where we featured a you know, book that we're currently reading through, so that was on there a couple of times, I think, but um, that's, that's, a, that's a good one, one, again, that I've never read that I'll, I'll probably have to check out, add to my ever-growing list. Um, but my book number four, I believe, is one that has at least come up in passing. Um, I, I, it's, it's a, it's another Ortland book. It's not by Dane Ortland, but it's by Gavin Ortland, his brother, and it's called Retrieving Augustine's Doctrine of Creation. Um, I've read a number of Gavin's books. I, I had a hard time deciding which one I wanted to pick for this list of five. I also didn't want to have two Ortland books, but I just—they're all just so good. I can't not talk about them but but this one in particular came out last summer and it is just really good it's it's a book that i personally uh greatly benefited from and um i guess i should say at the outset that this is probably also my most like academic read uh, of my entire list i mean it's published by ivp academic i believe it's in their like mid-tier so there's like uh you know beginner intermediate and like advanced as far as their academic books go so it is a little bit more of a challenge if you haven't really read a lot of theological works Um, but if you have it's 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 a great read Um, the whole point is you know in this world of retrieval for the sake of renewal um, Gavin here has written like a very specific type of retrieval um, specifically retrieving Augustine's doctrine of creation and he, he's, I'll just kind of read the back of it so you get an idea of what, it, what it's about. But uh, it says, imagine a table with three people in dialogue, a, a young earth creationist, an old earth creationist, and an evolutionary creationist. 
into the room walks Augustine of Hippo, one of the most significant theologians in the history of the church. In what ways will his reading of scripture and his doctrine of creation inform, deepen, and shape the conversation? Um, so throughout this book, he sort of does imagine this hypothetical conversation between these different types of people. Um, but with with such a, for, for whatever reason, the, the, the doctrine of creation is in many ways a current controversy, one that you know, if you mention something on Twitter about creation and someone happens to disagree with you, I'm sure it's going to f- start a Twitter firestorm. Um, but but the whole th- the work that Gavin is trying to do here is um, to resituate, to reorient, to, I guess, help us see even something like creation in a different lens. You know, a- exiting our postmodern world and entering into the 300s AD and and how Augustine read Genesis 1 through 3. What did what did Augustine mean when he would read uh, a text literally? Or what did he, you know, how did he view the days of creation? Or whatever it might be. And, and who, you know, maybe we'll never know who's actually quote-unquote right. Um, but one of the things that uh, Gavin at least spends a good amount of time talking about is this idea of theological rashness. Um, so drawing rash conclusions, especially on issues that, do have many different interpretations and there throughout church history there have been many interpretations of genesis 1 through 3 and so avoiding a a rash approach to you know say the doctrine of creation um you know can be of of good benefit uh, we, we could all do well to enter conversations charitably calmly lovingly understanding that we don't know everything and sometimes scripture is silent on certain things because we weren't meant to know fully you know, whatever it might be. So at the end of the day, this is a great book. It's one that it's a little bit longer. It's about 300 pages, um, but one that's really helpful that I, you know, I think a a pre-modern view of creation can really help inform some of our more modern debates on the issue. I I personally benefited pretty, pretty greatly from this book. Yeah, that's a, a really, you know, we talk all the time about retrieving stuff and resourcement of, of of previous generations ideas and and really being connected to that tradition and i think that's a really great example i haven't i haven't read that one either but um i do want to again uh and which you know it's pretty much true of most books i see you know like i could i, I probably if i had unlimited time i probably could find a reason to read just about any book but um that one for sure i think is uh from what i've heard about it and just the concept of it just it's just such a great idea to to kind of do that, you know, for a book, to take the, the a book length amount of time and space to, to, to actually do that work of diving into a topic like creation from the perspective of one of the great church fathers. So super exciting and, and super interesting. So this final book is the one that I think is kind of cheating because I haven't actually read it. Um, I've read parts of it and I'm currently reading it. Um, but I'm only partway through the first chapter. So this is a book, it's called Union with Christ, The New Finnish Interpretation of Luther. Um, I came across this book a couple years ago when I was writing a paper uh, on theosis or deification, which I have mentioned that paper before uh, because we did a whole episode on theosis. And Uh, What that paper was about was basically tracing this doctrine of deification or or theosis 
through church history. And I came across this book uh, where it is more or less, to to put simply, a um, collection of essays sort of putting forward this, like it says, new Finnish interpretation. So a group of scholars led by Professor Tuomo Monerma at the University of Helsinki in Finland um, in the late 80s and the 90s uh, kind of produced this, this, they kind of developed into this new Finnish school of interpreting Luther. And um, this book was published in 1998, and it is basically sort of introducing that, that school of thought to English speakers. So you've got... Um, chapters by Tuomo Monerma and then some of his students um, and then sort of responses or reflections by some American theologians that follow those chapters. Um, So just, you know, some of the chapter titles are, um, you know, uh, Justification and Theosis in Lutheran Orthodox Perspective, Um, Christ as Favor and Gift, The Challenge of Luther's Understanding of Justification, what God gives, man receives. Luther on salvation. So, um, this is it, it. It's a it's an idea that has like really captured me ever since I came across it a couple years ago, and I'm finally getting around to looping back around and actually reading through the entirety of this book, not just referencing some of the more historical data for the purposes of that paper. Um, and it, it's just really fascinating. Um, I'll, I'll read the back. It, it, it just briefly. Um, At the heart of the Finnish breakthrough in Luther research lies the theme of salvation. Luther found his answer to the mystery of salvation in the justifying work of Christ received through faith alone. But Protestant theology has never enjoyed a consensus on how to interpret the Reformation doctrine of justification by faith. In opposition to the traditional forensic understanding of justification, Mannerma argues that for Luther, quote, Christ is really present in faith itself, end quote. Mannerma's interpretation of Luther's view of justification is thus more ontological and mystical than ethical and juridical. As such, his work challenges a century of scholarly opinion concerning a foundational doctrine of Protestant theology. And for me, um, that, that, that ontological and mystical sort of bent um, is, what, is what gives the connection with with orthodox theology, you know, capital O, orthodox theology and theosis, you know, a really interesting little link to Luther there, um, as well as just sort of resonates with some of the uh, tendencies that I feel like I have in in looking at these sorts of doctrines and the way that I read scripture. So I'm really, like I said, I've been fascinated and continue to be fascinated with this school because it's a, it's a well-respected you know, as far as I can tell, not not every Lutheran or every Luther scholar agrees, but um, as far as as best as I can tell, it's a well-respected. Uh, Tuomo Modermo is a well-respected professor, uh, uh, theologian, and and this is a well-respected uh, work that he and his students were doing, and um, it's just really interesting. I love theosis. I love um, the mystical union with Christ kind of uh, vision of salvation and participate. You know, more the more participatory emphases in scripture and, 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 and not, not as in I'm erasing the other stuff, but just emphasizing that maybe a little stronger than the forensic side that, that we're maybe more used to as Protestants. But, um, 
really, really fascinating. And, and I would recommend kind of just looking into the Finnish school in general, even if you don't pick up this book. But um, it's, uh, it's really cool. It's really cool. So that's uh, Union with Christ, the new Finnish interpretation of Luther. Nice. Yeah. I mean, when I saw your book, I thought that was going to be like Bondage or the Will or whatever. Or is that what his book is called? I feel like I've yeah. had, I had a book that had that same picture as a cover. Um, but yeah, super cool. Um, so we, we've reached my fifth and final book. And I, at first I was nervous to include it. But since Lucas included two novels, I, I do not feel nearly as nervous anymore. Um, this is not a novel. It's actually a comic book. Um, but one that I, I don't think I've ever cried reading something. And I was very close. My second read through uh, The Vision by Tom King. So a little backstory for you. I hadn't read comic books in years. I mean, my brother was huge into comic books when we were younger, and I would read a comic book every every now and then. Um, I, I had also read through the entire Walking Dead series um, in, in college, and um, or at least what was available while I was in college. But I really like hadn't been reading very many comic books. Um, but when when WandaVision was about to come out, you know, it had been a while since there had been any Marvel content. Um, I was really intrigued by what WandaVision was supposed to be. And I was like, man, I really don't know much about Vision. Like, it'd be kind of cool to, to read through um, this story by Tom King, who is an excellent writer, an excellent... Um, he, he also does a, like a Batman comic and I think a new Nightwing comic. But um, a couple friends had recommended, especially as I was preparing to watch WandaVision, like, hey, you should read The Vision. It's a great comic. Um, and one of the things that I love about it um, I'm somebody like the reason I struggle with comic books. Uh, first of all, I don't have an endless amount of money where I can just buy an entire, you know, series. Like there's, there are some runs on comics that have like 400 issues. It's like, first of all, where am I ever going to find them all? How am I ever going to read them all? Um, the nice thing about the vision is that it's 12, you know, comics and I have the whole collected version. This is like the, um, you know, issues one through 12 or whatever. Um, but the entire story is contained within one through 12. So you don't have to read 54 comics or 172. There are just 12 short issues. Um, and, and the entire story is told within that. Uh, but what I really like about this, and if you don't know anything about Vision, if you don't know anything about Wanda, if you don't know anything about the comics, um, it might be a little hard to understand. But um, really, the Vision... Uh, has created an own, his own family. So he, he is a synthesoid. I'm getting in, way into like the backstory behind like, you know, his, his um, you know, where he came from, his origin story. Um, but he, he's not a man. He's not a robot, but he's this synthesoid between man and robot. And he creates a wife and two kids. And he's settling down, quote unquote, in the suburbs in Virginia um, while he still works, uh, I think he works like in the White House on behalf of the Avengers and everything. Um, but the whole story is about Vision and what it means to be human. Like Vision and his family so desperately want to be as normal, as human as possible. So as his kids try to interact at school, um, but just don't understand some of the complexities of, you know, human emotion and why students do certain things and, um, you know, why it's maybe not a good idea to have a mascot called the Redskins. And um, there are just these things that like it, it's, it's exploring deeply and profoundly human emotion um, as these, you know, quote unquote synthesoids uh, seek to, to be that they want to be human. 
Um, and, and again, if you know the comics, you, you, you sort of can see how, how Wanda or the Scarlet Witch gets weaved into the story because um, this is beyond anything we've ever seen in the MCU. Um, like, so Vision isn't with Wanda anymore. Um, there's a whole history that sort of goes down. Um, but you see, as as Vision is like mourning, as he's trying to understand what's going on in his life, he has these you know flashbacks to these moments when he was with Wanda, uh, the love that they shared. Um, I don't I don't want to like say much more because I don't want to give anything away. But as far as comic books go, this was like one of the best comics that I have ever read. This story is like I said, I almost cried. There are moments of just like real humanity. Like, I think a lot of people think of comic books as just these, you know, cheesy kid stories or whatever. Um, but this is a deep, um, profound story about what it means to be human, what it means to um, to live in this world. And I think as Christians, we can learn something from that. Because this isn't a Christian comic by any means. Um, but how does the world think about what it means to be human? How do they think about, um, you know, having neighbors and being friendly and cordial to the, the neighbor that doesn't like you or... Or whatever it might be. Like, there's, there are just these things that I think we can all relate to. And um, it's a story that I think anybody could, even if you know nothing, you could still enjoy. So that's that's my book five. That's awesome. That sounds, that sounds really good. And I, I forgot to mention, we'll link to all of these. I think we'll, yeah. we'll put links to, like, you know, to Amazon or whatever. So if you don't know what we're talking about, you can at least find it there. Um, but that's, yeah, that's our that's our list of technically nine books. Yep, only that nine that uh you guys should should at least check out <laughs> yeah for sure well thanks for sharing and i hope uh at least one of these books isn't is you know piques your interest uh yeah. if if you if you haven't heard of or haven't read them before and um i kind of like we have a little bit of variety you know some different topics theologically some different themes to explore different kinds of books uh I think it's a pretty good list. I have to say, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty pleased with this list. <laughs> I am too. And now I have like four books of yours that I have not read that I'll sure. add add to That's my true. list, which is always great. Um, but we'll close with a customary word of prayer from the Valley of Vision. This is called Caring Love. All sufficient King, when I come into Thy presence, I see the glory of Thy perfections, the throne of eternal and universal empire, the ten thousand times ten thousand who minister to Thee. Impress my mind with the consciousness of thy greatness, not to drive me from thee, but to inspire me to approach thee, uh, not to diminish my confidence in thee, but to lead me to admire thy great condescension. Thou hast been mindful of me and visited me, taken charge of me from birth, cared for me in, in all of my conditions, fed me from thy table, drawn the curtains of love around me, given me new mercy, uh, mer new mercies every morning. Suffer me not to forget that I look for yet greater blessings, a hope beyond the grave, the earnest and foretastes of immortality, holiness, wisdom, strength, peace, and joy. All these thou hast provided for me in Christ. I grieve to think how insensible I have been of the claims of thy authority and the endearments of thy love, how little I have credited thy truth, trusted thy promises, feared thy threats, obeyed thy commands, improved my advantages, welcomed thy warnings, responded to thy grace, but notwithstanding my desert, I yet live. May thy goodness always lead me to repentance and thy long suffering prove my salvation. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Doxology Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to connect with us, we are on Twitter at Doxology Podcast or Instagram at Doxology Podcast or on or via email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Um, anything you want to say, we'd love to hear it. Feedback, questions, future episode ideas, books you've been reading or have read that you think are good that we can add to our lists. Um, We'd love to hear from you, and until next time, we will see you.